believe I just read that. <laughs> that fucking ruled. <laughs> this one, some of you have heard before, some of you haven't. I hope I can read it well. I have a car out in front of this house that doesn't work. And uh, I'm actually thankful for the fact that it's not on fire. And this is about to tell you why. <laughs> Let me tell you a true story. This is called A Bum Ride, Baby. A friend of mine told me that she had heard of this guy named Tom. Exactly how it was put to me. This guy named Tom. Up in New Hampshire who bought cars as junk, then fixed them up and sold them for $50. Why couldn't I see this coming? <laughs> She offered to pick me up and drive me up to this farm of Tom's to check out the merchandise. We got there. A dirt road had twisted for two miles off of I-93 before it reached Tom's driveway. With obvious concern for her undercarriage, Jennifer hung the ride onto the driveway, a stretch of road that brought new definition to the word unpaved. <laughs> that road was unpaved with vehement vengeance. <laughs> Barely seven feet separated the walls of trees on either side, and ditches large enough to hide your household pet, if you have a dog, had been strategically added to the wheel tracks, thus forcing a driver to play dodge him with the forest. <laughs> the road proved drivable to us only because Jennifer had one of the better handling sports cars available. Nevertheless, it still felt like we were cutting through Outback. As the trees grew in even closer to the trail... I I really can't call it a road. They whipped at the car with what seemed like malevolent purpose, and Jennifer's verbal retaliations became quite colorful in their descriptions of what acts could be performed with tree parts on the persons that had gotten her there in the first place. I was not excluded. <laughs> After an eternity of hallucinating about Oz's enchanted forest, the track opened into a clearing where there was a little wooden sign on the side leaning against a rock and spray-painted in sky blue, Tom's Cars. You just knew it had to be good. <laughs> the road leveled a bit and it evolved into a field and Jennifer gunned the engine around a blind right turn. The barn reared into view quite suddenly as we skidded around the bend and we barely avoided turning about 30 chickens into poultry as she slammed on the brakes. Apparently the sound of a car that ran was new to them, and it startled them into a panicked frenzy. <laughs> the result? Jennifer's new Mitsubishi Eclipse needed a car wash. Desperately. You would never believe how high a chicken can fly before it shits. <laughs> I know they don't fly. You should have seen these ones. <laughs> we walked toward the barn that stood on a daring 80-degree angle, as from it came the man I was to deal with, Tom. Tom also stood on a daring 80-degree angle, but in the opposite direction, rakishly to the left. Perhaps rakish is giving him a little too much credit. Barely balanced might be better. I think it may have had less to do with gravity and age and more to do with alcohol. My primary clue being that there were three small boys in the pasture to my right, and uh, they're firing shotguns at three pyramids of Jack Daniels bottles. Eighteen bottles stood in three shaking stacks, and uh, as I watched them fire off several rounds, they were whooping, woo every time they fired a shot, jumping up and down, even though not a ball was touched. <laughs> I prayed they were using blanks, because I didn't want to accept such aim belonging to any individual holding a rifle. <laughs> Tom, I'd originally come very highly recommended by Jennifer, then 
but it was by someone before her who was a friend of a friend of hers that worked with this guy, and boom! I was bolted back to reality by the sound of a Jack Daniels bottle finally going the way of most things that are subjected to bullets at high velocity. <laughs> Flammo. <laughs> As flying glass gently rained down around us, Tom walked us to the side of the bar and we, he worked on his cars. And there they were. The four of them, all lined up and ready to go. The pride of Detroit. A 1984 Ford Mustang. Light blue. A 1987 Ford Escort. Light blue. A 1984 Pinto, light blue. And a 1983 Ford Tempo. Uh, can anybody guess the color? Light blue. Ford Motor Company stock light blue. Believe it or not, this is what I was told. Apparently Tom, for some reason, figured there was going to be a run on early 80s light blue Ford cars. So he decided to stock up on them. So, I'm so drunk. <laughs> I'm not even reading. I'm like telling you this from memory. <laughs> so, no, let me tell you a story. <laughs> After some very interesting haggling on my part, um, does this one run? Nope. Um, do, does, how about this one? Yep, but ain't got brakes. Okay, <laughs> uh, I see. As it resolved, it was obvious that the only one that A started, B had brakes. And C would probably not blow up was the Mustang, 1984, the worst year for the poor things. I then watched my hand as it gave Tom two 20s and a 10. I wondered what it was doing. <laughs> then I watched it take keys to a Mustang and shake on the deal. Well, if nothing else, you know, Tom didn't have any dirt under his fingernails. Uh, oh, no. Tom didn't have any fingernails. <laughs> Don't ask. I didn't. <laughs> One minute later, I was behind the wheel of my new Mustang. Two minutes later, I was screaming and beating about a thousand spiders off of me. <laughs> Apparently, they stored the thing outside with the windows open to air it out because something, something had died in it. <laughs> but, but that was a long time ago. How do we solve this problem? Well, what we do is we ask dear old Tom if he has a broom, perhaps? Sweep the arachnoid wildlife from the car? No. Tom has a better idea. Tom proceeded to run, a term I use very loosely here, into the garage, disappear for a few moments amidst the sounds of clanging metal and falling machinery, then come shuffling out with something that looked exactly like what it was, a homemade flamethrower. Tom reached into his overalls, of course, he had overalls on. Pulled out a big lighter and lit up the nozzle. The contraption uh, shot a 20-foot-long gout of flame <laughs> between Jennifer and I. Jennifer screamed and ran back to her car to wait for me with, with the doors locked. <laughs> Tom adjusted this and that, twisted some knobs and things. <laughs> And got a very fast, wide blue flame shooting away about ten feet in front of him. He walked over to the car. <laughs> Excuse me, I'm still in denial. He walked over to my car <laughs> and pointed that nifty country flamethrower right into it. <laughs> I did figure correctly that the flame was too fragile to ignite the interior, but I, I waited for an explosion anyway. After about 15 seconds, Tom shut the valves, knobs, and things. The fire went out, and he pronounced my car clear. Yippee. 
I had to get in the thing. <laughs> you only live once, right? <laughs> I got in. Seat was warm. I ignored everything around me, trying very hard not to notice the burnt black clumps dusted about, <laughs> and started my new car. After about, you know, seven, eight tries, started right up. A few small puffs of smoke, some grinding noises, and I was waving goodbye to Tom and his three sons, or nephews, or both. <laughs> I followed Jennifer back to Londonderry. Uh, the car, I must admit, ran well. I had the windows open, the air was nice. Aside from having to occasionally pick a toasted insect out of my mouth or hair, you know, the ride was enjoyable. I stayed at Jennifer's for about an hour, then walked out to my car in the driveway. I prepared for the 45-minute drive back to my lovely, normal, safe apartment in Melrose by taking several deep breaths before entering my car, <laughs> framing my mind with a great, overwhelming peace. I remember a line from my Taoist studies, the physical environment is conditioned by the mental atmosphere. Ah, a perfect phrase for a perfect car. <laughs> there exists an important line before that one, but I couldn't remember it then, so whatever. I simply imagined my new car perfect in mental serenity. I thought it, therefore it was. In minutes, I was brimming with confidence that my $50 car would make it home and then some... I wasn't, however, overwhelmingly surprised when I was about 10 miles away from Medford and rattling began to shake the car. I was coming down Route I-93 at about 50 miles an hour, which was slow for me as a driver, and I still had another 20 minutes of operating that thing before I'd make it home to Melrose. I began chanting the driver's mantra. Come on, baby, you can make it. Come on, baby, just a little more. Come on, car, we're almost there. Come on, car, just to my door. It's worked for many a driver. It's enchanted many a cantankerous automobile throughout history. Would it work for me? <laughs> right. <laughs> I calmly moved into the far right lane, the slow lane. I didn't panic. Well, I didn't panic until I felt a breeze coming in the car, but I didn't really have long to think about it because the passenger side door fell off, saving me the trouble of figuring out where the breeze was coming from. You know, boom. Well, actually, it was like a Boom, 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 boom. Something like that. I was going 50, and I was not fucking slowing down. I continued to not panic as my knuckles turned white on the steering wheel. If they had to use the jaws of life to get me out of that car, they'd need to cut the steering wheel off in my hands because I was not letting go. By my logic, I deduced that, one, I wanted to go home. Two... The door was already behind me, so stopping would be a moot point. And besides, three, I couldn't put it back on. Four, I wanted to go home. Five, no one had gotten killed yet, just a lot of swerving around the door, which had bounced off onto the soft shoulder of I-95, but I might get killed if I stopped to try to get the door, which would seriously interfere with the main reason behind my logic to continue driving. Number six, I wanted to go home. I then remembered the Taoist line that preceded the one I thought earlier. People are conditioned by their physical environment. Fine. My new perfect car was conditioning me. Fine. I could get to that if it would get me home. I was still doing 50. Call me nuts. Well, hey, I was going to fall out that side, right? 
Mustang Ho! I actually did make it to Main Street in Melrose before the engine caught on fire. I was, I admit, a little terrified. It's a good way to put it, but I was able to pull over right in front of a fire station. Boy, those firemen are happy to see me. They must have been because they laughed and laughed and laughed as they brought out their fire extinguishers and put out the engine in my baby blue. <laughs> I was a bit saddened when I found out that there was a nest of about 30 field mice living in the hearts and filters of my engine, and they had subsequently been asphyxiated and roasted on my journey from New Hampshire. The smoke and flames coming out of my engine was 30 field mice being used as kindling for all the grease and oil and muck collected in the engine. Fuck, grease and oil and muck were the engine. I'd say it wasn't a pretty sight, but it really just looked like a bunch of little briquettes. (laughs) I walked home, about two blocks away, after pushing the car into an old deserted gas station parking lot on the corner near the fire station. The two firemen that helped me push it were very nice. They suggested that I research my next car a little before I bought it. (laughs) 